Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. Today is the 33rd episode of my monthly feature, Our Voices, an inside look into a life journey that's likely quite different than yours. We'll discuss ways to accelerate social change that level the playing field and help everyone live to their full potential. I encourage you to listen with curiosity and without judgment to this account of what it means to grow up, learn, struggle, work, and live in our world. My guest today is an amazing human being and literally extraordinary voice, a performing artist who sung in operas and operettas, performed in musical theater productions, and acted in Shakespearean plays, portraying some of the best-loved musical characters, including the Phantom and Phantom of the Opera and the Beast in Beauty and the Beast. With a heart for youth and arts education, he gives masterclasses and talkbacks to inspire the next generation of artists. In 2021, he made his Broadway debut with one of the longest-running shows, The Lion King. I'm excited to introduce a brilliant talent and soul, meet actor, model, and baritone Zeke Andrews. Zeke, welcome to our voices. Hello. How are you? I could not be more fabulous if I have a chance to chat with you. What a treat. Yes, yes, yes. I'm very excited on this wintry, rainy Monday. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So first, a shout out to our mutual friend, Tony Sportiello, for how we met. Uh, Tony is the artistic director of New York City's AMT Theater. It's a new regional theater creating new shows and musicals and encouraging new writers and directors in your amazing profession. So yay, Tony. So while it was brief, I have to say at the benefit, I was just wrapped in full audio immersion of your unbelievable voice as you sang a short piece. Wow. Um, you really just filled the entire space with emotion. Ah, it was beautiful. It was profound. Um, so I look forward to listeners learning about what it's like for you to be a performing artist. Um, but before we go there, you know, I really love for us just to get to know you um, and an inside look into your journey in life. All right. Well, uh, as the, the song say in uh, Sound of Music, let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. I'm Ezekiel Andrew McCall is my last name, but uh, for uh, my performing purposes, I go by my first and middle name, which is Ezekiel Andrew. Uh, I grew up uh, in uh, Itabina, Mississippi, which is a small little town in the Mississippi Delta. Uh, my father is a, a minister and pastor there in the Delta, and so I grew up uh, around church, and uh, my father is also a gospel singer, so uh, I grew up around music and singing uh, since I can remember and uh, with my father being a minister, uh, I traveled with him. He was more of the evangelist type of minister. So he would travel from church to church to church doing uh, revivals and uh, youth retreats and youth seminars and things like that. And so uh, I was his right wing man. And uh, one of my earliest memories was uh, my dad asked me what I wanted to be uh, when I grew up. And I said, I want to be just like you, dad. And so that's one of our core uh, memories that he and I have together. But uh, from early on, 
I was on the road with my my dad. And as I look at my life now, um, my life has mirrored that uh, in the theater world, not so much in the pool pit. But uh, I'm the I'm the third of four children. And uh, uh, growing up in the Mississippi Delta, it's, uh, the economy there was uh, a little on the poor side and there weren't many uh accesses to programs to expose uh, youth to those higher art forms. But uh, some kind of way, uh, I had something churning inside of me that will later prove to be um, a great joy in my life and lead to what I do uh, professionally. Uh, There's so much to say. Uh, I'm kind of fumbling over here to to find an anchor. How do I tell my story? but growing up in church and growing growing up around gospel music, my ear uh, became trained to, you know, no harmonies. And I sang in choir as a kid. And so uh, I loved music. I, I really did love music. And then uh, in junior high school, I was in the marching band and uh, I played the trumpet, the trumpet and the French horn, uh, still clinging to music. Uh, I was also uh, a runner. I ran track and cross country and uh before I started singing, I used to love it to draw and paint. Uh, that was my main uh, art form was drawing and painting. And so uh, just an artsy kid by and large in every uh, sense of the word. And uh, one of the, the pivotal uh, experiences that I had as a kid was uh, in the ninth grade, uh, my teacher, Mr. Michael G., uh, I was the weird art kid that was always uh, doing the most with all of the art assignments in my English class. When we had to read poems, Romeo and Juliet and things like that. I would go overboard. I was acting out things. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I always wanted to make things uh, more dramatic than they seemed to have needed. Uh, but my uh, English teacher at the time, uh, he recognized that there was a gift in me. And uh, brought me this brochure to uh, attend the Mississippi School of the Arts, which was a residential uh, arts high school located about three hours south of where I was living. And so uh, he brought me that brochure and said, I really think you need to go to this school. And so uh, not knowing much about uh, the higher art forms like opera, musical theater, ballet, tap, all that kind of stuff. I didn't know any uh, of those forms, but uh, I had learned a song in school called Old Man River uh, from the musical Showboat. And so uh, with that song, uh, I sent in an audition video. And uh, this was back when those the, 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 the video cameras, recording cameras weren't on your phone. It was those big uh big <laughs> those big lenses with the big uh body that you had to put on your uh shoulder uh to take a video and so uh I stood in front of my bedroom wall and this was my first audition I sang old man river a cappella and I I filled out the audition requirements and uh sent it in uh a few weeks later I got uh a letter in the mail uh, inviting me and my parents to come and do a live audition at the school. And so uh, me and another student uh, at the high school, Amanda Elsie High School in Greenwood, Mississippi, we traveled to Brookhaven, Mississippi. And 
I did my audition there and it was one of those uh, experiences where I wasn't too afraid because I didn't know what I was, you know, really walking into. Somebody just said, hey, come here and sing this song and uh, we'll let you know if you're good enough to come in. That's how simple it was to me then. Uh, and so uh, I went there, I did the thing, and uh, I, I thought it went really great. Another few weeks go by, and then I got an email inviting me to attend the school. Now, for a little black kid in uh, Itabina, Mississippi, uh, being given this opportunity, uh, I could have no idea how this would change my life, but it really did. Uh, I was accepted into that school, and it was a school that you were eligible to go to your junior and senior years of high school. It was a residential school uh, provided for free at the time by the state of Mississippi. And uh, as a student there, uh, you did your artistic classes on campus, and you took your uh, academic curriculum like English, not not English, uh, math and uh science and things like that at the high school, at the neighboring high school, uh, Brookhaven High School. But yes, I went to that school uh, to study uh, vocal performance. They had three art forms at the time. You could study visual arts, you can study the theater arts, uh, or you could study the vocal arts. And I studied uh, the vocal arts while at the school. And my teacher, who was actually entering his, he's in his last year and will be retiring in May, uh, my teacher, Mr. Patton Rice, uh, was the first voice teacher that I had. And I remember in our first class uh, with him, uh, I had never heard a live opera singer sing before. And so um, he demonstrates to the class the Largo Afoctotum from uh, The Marriage of Figaro. Uh, and I was blown away like I could have been a kid uh, watching Beyonce at a concert. I was totally floored at the amount of sound this man could produce without a microphone. And something clicked in me and said, I want to do that. And so uh, I'm the type of personality when I like something and want to master, stump, master something, I'm obsessed with it. And so um, uh, this was the year 2004, I was a part of the second graduating class uh, from the Mississippi School of the Arts. I did my junior and senior year of high school there uh, and I excelled. I really excelled and took advantage of every opportunity the school had uh, to expose me to opera and musical theater. Uh, in 2006, uh, the school would take its first trip to New York City uh, to perform at Carnegie Hall. And coming to New York for the first time as an 18-year-old was, man, uh, it was one of those experiences that I have as a core memory that showed me that there's a totally different world out there than Mississippi. And uh, if I worked hard, maybe just someday, maybe I could have a piece of it. And so uh, having that experience uh, gave me what I thought at the time was a an end goal, you know, that dream, like, man, what it would be like to live here and work here and sing here. Uh, I will go on to pursue an undergraduate degree in uh, vocal performance, emphasis in opera performance, 
Uh, I completed my undergraduate uh, in vocal performance uh, at Mississippi College. And uh, while there, I uh, would continue to grow and excel in opera. And then I uh, went on to attend the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, uh, where I would pursue a graduate degree, a master's of music and opera performance. And then uh, I didn't finish at CCM. Uh, I would go on to move back to Mississippi and attend the University of Southern Mississippi, where I uh, finished my master's in uh, vocal performance in 2017. And so uh, over the span of uh, 2004 up until 2017, I was in some kind of school. <laughs> uh, it was. It seemed so long. All I wanted to do was get out there in the the world and start performing. But um, I was in school for a very long time, and my first professional job uh, was given to me by Short North Stage uh, in Columbus, Ohio, while I was uh, living in Cincinnati. Uh, we did a a piece called Fugitive Songs, uh, and that was my first taste of, man, I got paid for singing. <laughs> and so I was making $125 a week and driving uh, two hours to get to the uh, the theater while also juggling work and other things. So uh, it was one of those, the, another experience that said, I want to do this with my life. How do I do this full time? Um, uh, and when I think about over all the years, one thing always just tended to lead to the next. I didn't have a grand plan. I didn't really have, uh, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, somebody say, Hey, come sing here and you go sing. Uh, I should mention that, uh, while in school, all of those years, choral music was a very, uh, firm uh, anchor in my life. Uh, there was a time in my journey where I wasn't getting any opportunities uh, and didn't get responses from auditions and was getting all of the no's. And uh, I went through a low period uh, in my in my journey. Uh, and choral music was the lifeline of my, my singing. Uh, it was the only thing I had. And so I was uh, chorister for uh, the Episcopal Church in uh, Christ Church Cathedral in Cincinnati, also in Mississippi. I I've just stayed in choirs uh, this whole time. Even now here in New York City, I do eight shows a week, six days a week. But on Sunday, uh, I'm most often found at uh, Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church singing in the choir because it's just a, a love of mine that has kept me um, in line, not only vocally, but spiritually and emotionally. Um, but yeah, um, after graduating uh, with my master's in 2017, I had already begun performing uh, regionally in the summers when I wasn't in school. And uh, the experience that kind of turned on the, you called me a superstar at the beginning of the the, the radio uh, interview. Uh, I still identify as just Zeke. I, I, I do the best that I can, but the the experience that gave me the opportunity to really uh, open my heart to let my voice just ring was uh, I got my first uh, contract to perform Ragtime in 2016 with the Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater Company in Logan, Utah. 
And that was an experience that uh, I would say placed me on the trajectory that I am on currently. And uh, what an amazing experience that was. Uh, I had always had the dream of performing Cole House Walker Jr. in a ragtime and to be finally given this opportunity. Uh, we did not disappoint at all. Uh, and I will go on from 2016 up until 2021. I have performed seven different productions of Ragtime, all as Cole House Walker Jr. Uh, and clocked in almost 200 performances of the role. And I, I it is my, uh, how do I say, you're born to play some roles. I really feel that Cole House Walker Jr. was one of those roles. And uh, there's a song in the musical called Wheels of a Dream. And it's definitely the it's definitely the the show and the role that put me on my personal wheels of a dream. And so, uh, yeah, uh, I am talking. I'm living inside of my memories right now. Uh, let's talk Lion King. So um, Lion King was the first Broadway musical I saw uh, in 2008 while I was in my undergrad took my second trip to New York City and I saw Lion King for the first time. And uh, within the first couple of seconds of the show opening, uh, my best friend and I were sitting there watching and we both just started crying and couldn't figure out why we we're over here weeping. Like, what is going on? You know, we all grew up with the Lion King. I was a kid when it came out and uh, we had it on VHS and I watched the cartoon every single day. It was one of those uh, those Disney cartoons that you just can't help but love. So I loved Lion King. Why not make it the first Broadway show that I would see? And then uh, I began to delve deeper into the musical. And I was like, I want to play Mufasa someday. <laughs> I want to be Mufasa someday on Lion King. And funny thing, the guy who's Mufasa right now, it's amazing. I knew of him all those years ago when I was pining to be in the show. And now I'm grateful to be able to call him colleague and friend and someone that I big bro, you know, somebody that I looked up to uh, tremendously to be uh, breathing the same air as he is. I'm like, whoa, I did it. <laughs> I did it. Uh, but it didn't come easy. Uh, like I said, years and years of training and all of the the traveling from theater to theater, honing and polishing uh, your gift and your skills. And uh, even uh, Lion King, I had my first audition for Lion King in 2016. And I will go on to keep auditioning for them over the next five years before I finally got my call. And I realized how fortunate I am, blessed and a little bit lucky to have made it in uh, now that I know how Broadway really works. Uh, there are so many talented performers out there and I'm just grateful that I was one of the ones who got the opportunity to say that I was a performer on Broadway and I got to be in my dream show and do my dream role as Mufasa. So uh, that brings me up to current day 2023 uh, just a little bit of my my music journey. And uh, there are a lot of stories in and between and uh, a lot of different, you know, milestone uh, uh, opportunities and performances that, you know, if you if you'd like me to share, uh, I, I'd be I'd be happy to. But that's kind of like a 
a condensed version of my journey as a kid <laughs> going through uh, school and things and uh, some key uh, opportunities that put me on the path to Broadway and then now here at Broadway. Ah, oh, bravo. I am so smiley and uh, in awe um, of, you know, wow, to to make it and to just uh, in a world where, so, like you said, so much talent um, is really great. And I, I can hear your humility and your remembering where you came from, um, which is so important, right, to be as grounded as you are. Um, you. Let, let, let me go back, Zeke. Um, Growing up in uh, Mississippi, and was um, would you say you felt like you had it all? You know, and you, you had when you got to New York, like whoa, there's all this out there. But as you were growing up with your siblings, um, did it feel like you could stay there? Did you somehow think you would leave? I'm just curious what the youth mindset was back then. Well, back then, uh, I was one for uh, grand imagination. <laughs> I had a big imagination. I was the little kid. If you, I don't know if you remember, you could buy those uh, plastic army figurines. Yeah. Uh, they came in like packs of twenty or packs of fifty uh, soldiers in different positions and airplanes and stuff. Well, they 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 were all green. And you get this pack of it. I was the kid that would make a whole movie set, have uh, soldiers all over the house making different scenarios. So I was one of those kids that I made the best out of whatever uh, my surroundings was with my my surroundings were with my toys and things like that. Uh, but to be frank, we were poor. You know, it was not one of those uh, situations where I had exposure and that the the community around me uh had opportunities to, to provide to expose kids uh to things like that and then at the at the school uh they did go to you know every year or every couple of years they would do a trip to Washington DC and things like that like those kind of trips but my parents didn't have uh we didn't have the means to send uh me or any of my siblings to uh, experience any of those things. And so uh, as a kid, always wanting to go uh, on the field trips and on the, you know, different uh, excursions that the school would uh, set up to, to go, I, I can never afford to go to any of those. So uh, you kind of feel like, man, I wish I could go. I wish uh, I had the, the means to, to afford those opportunities, but I would say once I got uh, in junior high school and I got in band, uh, going to schools and playing music and being in the parades and marching and stuff like that was one. You just start seeing different surroundings early on, other than your town, hometown that you're in. And uh, my dad, being the minister that he was, we were all over the Mississippi uh, Delta and surrounding states uh, watching him preach. Uh, we had our own speaker system. So this was like amps and mixer boards and equalizers and microphones and things like that. My father would preach and sing 
and I would be at the back of the sanctuary controlling the levels and playing the music uh, through the CD player and things like that uh, while he did all his things. So I, I learned about production and uh, how to work uh, the electronic side of of music when I was a kid, eight years old, nine years old. I was back there running a full mixer board and uh, microphones and CDs and the tape recorder and everything uh, to help his I say his sermons, but my dad was writing a show. <laughs> he went, back then, you know, we go to these churches. Say, I'm going to sing this song, this song, this song, this song. I'm going to sing this song first, this song second. I'm going to preach, and then I'm going to close with this song. So I had all these things in cue. I'm recalling it now. I haven't thought about these little moments in a long time, but it was my dad. You know, uh, he was the one that kind of took us out of the 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 poverty that was around us uh i i was very blessed to not have to sit and wallow in that and with my gifts uh i knew that uh god had given me uh the grace to achieve not only was i talented i was a smart guy also so although other kids would call me a nerd and all that kind of stuff uh I, I knew I had something in me that uh, would put me out front someday. Uh, I'm talking in circles here as I'm trying to just remember all of those the, those small moments that started, you know, transforming my mind to, uh, you know, as a kid. How how did you start thinking about what you may want to do? I mentioned uh, early on that my dad asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and uh, I think we're in different fields, of course, but I think I'm doing just that, traveling and singing and uh, touching people's lives for the better through music, through song. Yeah, oh, It's so great to be with people who have, uh, you know, found their calling, not that it's not going to evolve. And your sense of self is really remarkable you know when you don't necessarily i mean it can seem like well or poor this that the other but you as a young a young you know person got this sense of you you know and i just want that for all people right but particularly for young people hey, let, let me not get too far now let, let... <laughs> no, well you know I, I i do i have i have to say the the humility you know uh, and the confidence you. right to have both um intertwined is great talk about your your relationship with your your siblings um this whoa <laughs> my relationship with my siblings i'm the third of four and uh my oldest I, i'm i'm the i'm the firstborn son uh they are uh the two girls uh audrey joy and precious Antoine, and then there's Ezekiel Andrew, and then six and a half years behind me is Jeremiah Uriah. So my parents had this way of, you know, tagging us with, I say tagging us, naming us with uh, biblical names and uh, things that invoke positive uh, emotions out of people just on hearing your name, Joy. Okay, boom. <laughs> 
Precious. Oh, yeah, Precious. What about that Ezekiel? Oh, yeah, Ezekiel. That's a strong name. <laughs> Jeremiah. Yeah, powerful prophets. And so uh, they tagged us with those names. And so coming up, you know, kids will be kids. And uh, the middle two, uh, Precious and myself, we were the the smart artistic ones, you know, and all the after school programs, doing all that the extra things. Uh, my sister graduated salutatorian of her high school class. She's very smart. She would go on to, you know, do her uh, undergrad and get two masters. Uh, so she's she's the one who was the most studious of us all. Uh, and I'm very, very proud of us, proud of her. And she and I are actually uh, we grew up the closest. We were the closest in age. I was born. Uh, she was born May uh 1986 and i was born november 1987 and so coming up as kids uh people often mistake us mistook us for twins mm -hmm. because uh we looked very similar and we were uh <laughs> we were uh very alike and close in age and so uh she was my 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 partner my my buddy coming up and uh, the oldest sister joy uh, she uh, she's now a teacher, but she was uh, four or five years older than I am. So that was a little gap there and a little bit, you know, that sibling rivalry, you know, oldest girl and youngest son. You know, I was the baby for, you know, those first you know seven years or so. You know, so it was that rivalry between she and I and uh, she's my big sister. Uh, my youngest brother, Jeremiah. Uh, he and I are, we are very close these days. Uh, uh, he's uh, living in Dallas, Texas now, and he has a son, uh, Benjamin. And uh, my oldest sister, she has a son. His name is Tyler, and he's actually graduating high school uh, this year. So kudos to you, Tyler. I'm proud of you, buddy. College time. <laughs> but um, yeah, we I would say we, we're, we're most alike. All families, if I can say that, uh, I have a pretty good relationship with my youngest brother and my my sister, Precious, the one that I grew up very close with. Uh, we are, I would say we are the closest. And though I don't, you know, I'm not uh, in any way at odds with my older sister. We're not as close in terms of communication and regular check ins and stuff. But uh, she's still my big sister and I love her a lot, love her a lot. But, yeah, we we are. We, I'm the, of course, the one who took the the arts and things like that, and really tried to, you know, carve a path for uh, it being vocational uh, and making a living and earning uh, using those gifts. Uh, Precious was also uh, a talented uh, a young lady. She could dance. She played in the band, and she was in the the. Uh, we had a dance ministry at our church. She was a beautiful dancer. Uh, just arts kids, you know, uh, I, I would say that about uh, the, the middle two, of course. And then the, the oldest sister, she was a beautiful singer. She has a beautiful, beautiful uh, soprano voice. And my brother, uh, my youngest brother, he uh, he doesn't have any art gifts, I would say. But uh, he loves music. I, that, that's what we'll give Jeremiah. He loves music. <laughs> and uh, if you could put him on the show, uh, he loves comedy. So uh, 
I would say he could probably make a fine uh, comedic actor if he wanted to. But uh, that's us. That's the four of us. Your parents have tons to be proud of. I am so smiley about the family. <laughs> I love it. Uh, talk about, um, you know, I don't know, um, in theater, the the ethnic diversity and um, growing up where you did, coming to a melting pot like a New York, to what extent did you experience any bias, if at all? I'm, I'm curious. So, hmm, bias. I would say that within my own community, uh, black community, coming from Mississippi, uh, I was pursuing opera performance at the first. Didn't really uh, know the ins and outs of musical theater or the difference. Uh, it was opera performance. So uh, the music and works of uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, uh, Johann Strauss, uh Brahms, Mozart, I could go down the list of um, the Verdi, uh, all these classical names and classical forms. Uh, that's what I was pursuing. I had the the aptitude for opera. And so I was pursuing it head on. I thought I would be singing at La Scala, the Met, uh, you know, all these big opera house, opera houses. That was my dream at the first, uh, but things would change and we can maybe talk about that later on. But um, the black community was not one who had access to know these things or be exposed to these things. And so, uh, man, uh, I, I, I just, we just didn't know, you know, there was no, uh, <laughs> no program. I keep going back to my, my education at, at the beginning of everything. I'm so grateful for the art school because it it exposed me. It was the exposure to these things that made me dare to dream that I could do them. Uh, so black communities, uh, when you don't have representation to show you that this is possible for someone who looks like you uh, comes from the same places you come from how would you ever know that you could do it um arts cost money going to shows cost money piano classes ballet lessons uh those things cost money and so without access to funds for impoverished communities to be able to you know send kids for this it it i grew up being helped by wonderful people uh they saw the gift that i had and i have so many people in my in my life that have pushed me uh and guided me through the different uh stages of my journey uh financially Financially, uh, it, it has not been an easy uh, journey to, to to get here because it it's so expensive to uh, even dream <laughs> sometimes to, to to get to this level. The, the the amount of effort it takes to get here financially is it was seemingly impossible. And so, uh, as a as a black kid coming from uh, Greenwood, Miss Itabina, Mississippi, I didn't I, I didn't stand the, the odds 
of me getting here were very, 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 very slim. I, I just, we didn't have it like that. And so um, I forget what question I'm answering, but uh, any biases, uh, I, I can't say that I've been met with much uh, adversity uh, in in terms of like people not liking me because of the color of my skin or uh, me not being afforded opportunities because of the color of my skin. And I say that not to excuse uh, the the state that our nation too often finds ourselves in uh, in terms of uh, racial inequalities. So I, I don't I, I, I don't excuse it for one bit. But in my personal journey, I've been able to serve as an example of what happens when you focus on the work. Focus on the work, do the work to the best of your ability, open your heart to the, uh, the possibilities, embrace fear while moving forward. Uh, that's kind of been my mantra. That's kind of been my, my mode. I don't stop. I keep going. We have eight things to do today. All right, let's try to do 10. Like I, I, I'm, I'm that type of work ethic and personality. So biases and uh, prejudices, if someone doesn't like me, that's on them. <laughs> that, 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 that that's on them. I I I I'm not one who can be sad and you know in in gloom and despair long. My 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 natural disposition is very playful and childlike, and so uh, I, I've seen it. Yes, I've seen racial biases, and I as a, a black man, I'm a part of uh, the larger community of black artists still fighting for representation, still fighting for the same quality opportunities that uh, people of other um, races get over others. I, I am still a part of that uh, that community, and I support uh, all of us uh, in diversity and inclusion uh, for all uh, BIPOCs. <laughs> but uh, my, my, my personal journey hasn't been encumbered by any uh you know, specific racial bias. I love that you have stayed true to you and the notion of working hard and not, uh, you know, someone doesn't like me, it's on them. I know that seems um, maybe not that big a deal statement to you, but I think that's a really hard thing for some people not to take personally. And the fact that that's, that you just so get that, um, it doesn't surprise me that you have created the tailwinds and that people have, um, that have come to support you, you know, and we all know it takes a village and the uh, example that you are. So uh, it's really heartwarming. Really, really heartwarming. Um, did you, you know, it's hard. You're, you're working all these jobs, you're driving two hours, you're getting chances, you're getting a lot of rejection. You said there were some dark moments. How, um, how did you get yourself um, out of the dark? Our dark times um, to generally stay light, you know, and I, I, um, I just, I can imagine it's just such a slog and, you know, so few get to really pierce through, you know, and yeah. uh, make it, if you will. I, my, my dark years, I would say were 2012 to 2000. Uh, when I moved to Cincinnati, uh, you know, in Mississippi, uh, 
coming up in in the school there and doing all of the competitions and doing well and being affirmed and your choices as an a young actor singer a young singer actor you just you can get the big head you know i'm gonna go out here and i'm gonna whoop on everybody yes here we come out into the world and i got to cincinnati and fell on my face you know it was <laughs> and that's where god needed to me to be on my face you know it was a a uh, huge uh, piece of humble pie, uh, but it wasn't for lack of uh, effort. Uh, when I got to the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, I didn't have any money. And that made, I sold, I remember I sold my car uh, just to be able to front the first two months of rent in Cincinnati. Uh, I ended up losing my first apartment while I was there. I got evicted. Uh, I, I had a lot of shifts and changes while there, trying to uh, keep going and trying not to move back home because then I guess in my head then that was a, a sign and symbol of failure. And so during those three years in Cincinnati, I went through so much. I call those my coming of age years where I experienced a lot of uh, uh, defeat. Uh, I ended up withdrawing from school you know, because I, I couldn't swing it, uh, not having the financial uh, ability to afford the tuition and uh, just the not being awarded opportunities while I was there. So it was it was just one of those situations where I just couldn't I couldn't hang and I, I had a mental break. Uh, and I mentioned uh, first off that it was choral singing that kept me clinging to, you know, I have a gift that was given to me from God and I'm going to keep singing as best as I can. And singing in church is what just, it was the lifeline of me continuing to sing. I, uh, the, the people have different experiences when they go to grad school and mine at CCM was one that it was just very judgmental. You know, I didn't thrive under the pressure of you know, uh, you know, always feeling like my peers were, you know, you know, believing the worst of me or gossiping about me. I wasn't in the in group, you know, the clicky group, or I wasn't getting awarded roles there. I was there for two years and I didn't do a single role at the conservatory. And so things like that make you start questioning, like, maybe I don't have what it takes. You know, I was comparing myself to all the other baritones and everyone that was doing all the amazing things. And I wasn't doing any of those things. And so uh, when you launch out for the first time in the world to kind of show what you have and pursue the success and when you don't get it, it it's like, <laughs> it's not a story. It's not a movie. This is real life happening. You know, you get home and you're eating pork and beans and ramen noodles and saving up your quarters and dimes literally so that you can, you know, get meals and having your parents, you know, order you pizzas online and having it delivered to your house and stuff like that. That was my my Cincinnati year. So it, it was very, very, very uh, difficult uh, to uh, stay hopeful. And I, I, I didn't uh, stay hopeful. I left school and all but for singing at church, I stopped singing. Uh, I stopped wanting to, you know, be out front as a soloist. Uh, I had embraced fear in a way that halted me. 
and my joy for singing was uh, all but gone. And uh, I worked, you know, that's when I that's when I got into like fashion and clothes and things like that. I was working for Buckle. I was working for Lacoste and uh, doing all other kind of odds and end kind of jobs. I was a, a brand representative for uh, uh, for uh, a spirit and wine company. So I was driving up and down the highway between Louisville and Cincinnati and Columbus setting up at Kroger stores and at liquor stores, asking people, do they want a, a sample of moonshine? You know, things like that. I have all those kind of experiences <laughs> and stories just trying to make it financially. And so uh, I keep I keep circling back around to the finance part because my story is one of those ones where it hindered me in a lot of ways from being able to focus on just the art. And uh, that first theater job that I ended up getting kind of shifted the dial for me. And uh, that was just after I had gone through like being afraid. I also did a murder mystery dinner theater. Uh, me and my partner at the time, uh, we were part of a murder mystery troupe and uh, we would go and set up at uh, different restaurants and uh, help people get through a murder mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the improv that you had to be capable of when dealing with a group of strangers is is it baffled me sometimes uh, the direction people would take things. But, uh, you know, all these little uh, like like I said, experiences that, you know, it's art, but it's also a hustle, you know, uh, to, to, to do these things, using everything in your bag uh, to, you know, pay the bills. And uh, while it was fun. Uh, the, the focus was always, what can we do next? How can we use what we have to uh, keep earning? The resourcefulness and, you know, coming out of the darkness, you know, just hallelujah that you did. Because I can oh, see I for many that it would be really hard. You know, like yeah. I'm, I'm it, was, really- it was tough. It, it tested the metal for sure. It, it really did. And I reached a point in Cincinnati where I didn't have – I was paying for voice lessons and things like that. I wasn't in school anymore. I, I'd, I'd withdrawn from the conservatory. So I was just living, you know, living. <laughs> Let's master living as an adult, you know, buying groceries, paying bills on time, you know, affording rent, you know, things like that. Let's, let's, work, it, let's work on those basic things, you know. And so uh, after I got a mastery of that, I would say, uh, in Cincinnati, uh, I wanted to sing again after that first contract I got. And uh, I, I I went, you know, auditioning here and there. I was on the highway again, driving to open calls as far as uh, St. Louis, uh, pursuing opportunities. And uh, I got I ended up getting one. And we can talk about that later. But uh, I, I was on the hunt. The hustle was alive in me that I wanted to sing again after my first uh job that I got making $125 a week. <laughs> I mean, you should say that you're like, what? I mean, you know, you can argue in New York, you can't even get much food for that. Um, no, a week, $125 a week. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how, um, so how, so talk about money. You know, I just, I'm, I, <laughs> you know, you're, Let's talk about money. What you want your, to know? Your relationship with it. How do you think about it? 
I think uh, not having it, I knew a part of my success would be being gainfully employed, uh, not always needing, you know, uh, the, the stress that comes from not being able to afford things is some of the worst stresses that I've had in my life. And I knew I didn't want that for myself, nor a family that I would want to have, which I'm working on right now. And so uh, the as a, as a young man right now, knowing that I'm in a I'm I don't, I don't take this for granted. I guard this opportunity that I have on Broadway right now very fiercely uh, and thoughts of leaving or transferring or anything like that. I don't I, I don't seriously entertain those because I know what this is providing for my life for the first time in uh, my adult life to be fully grounded financially is an amazing accomplishment for a young man like myself coming from the Mississippi Delta where he knew poverty. And so uh, that was one of my motivators. Yes, I love singing. I love the art. I love music. I love worship. Yes, money. Like, how are we going to not be in a in a in a mental state of being afraid all the time that you're going to lose or be put out or have things taken from you because of the money? I don't believe in the starving artist. I never believed in that. When I started hearing people say, yeah, starving artists, starving. I was like, why we got to be starving? Like, what happened to work hard, work hard, work hard, and you will do well. And doing well doesn't mean famous. It just means you'll be able to take care of your life. You know, I'm not rich, but I can take care of my family. You know, I can I could contribute in a way that doesn't leave us uh, afraid. Fearful of your not being able, you know, there's a fear that comes with being on stage and being in front of people, but when the lights are low and crowds go home and you have to go somewhere, what, what how is your art serving you in that regard? And I knew I, as I just needed to be able to provide for my life because I've had too many experiences where I've lost because I didn't have financial capabilities. And so, uh, financial literacy, being responsible over uh, the money that you work hard to earn. That's kind of where I am right now in my financial journey. And uh, if you, for those listening, if you keep at it, it doesn't mean that the adversity won't come. Uh, my fiance, my fiance and I were speaking last night. The word that's ringing in me right now is being steadfast. Be steadfast in your dream because there will things there will be, be there will go, there are going to be things that are going to come and challenge uh, how deep your roots are, how deep your convictions are, how uh, strong are you willing to be to withstand everything that's screaming quit uh, to you. I don't like the weather today. It's gray and rainy. I get depressed or there are too many people here. There's not enough green here in New York. What whatever the adversity is. How are you going to hold tough? And so that's where I am right now. But financially, it's been a great blessing to make it to this point in my career. Money. I love it. I love that you are here and the world is your oyster. And um, boy, coming over, you know, overcoming the adversity, yes. And um, 
Wow. I, and I just know we're just on it a lot. I don't speak on it a lot. I'm glad I'm having an opportunity to, uh, to speak on it because, you know, not often do people want to hear about the struggles, you know, it's about the highlights, but there are low light and dark, dark times too. So thank you for asking about those particular parts of the journey. I think they're important to know and understand so that people don't think you just all of a sudden have a pie and a cake. No, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, have to work. No, for sure. And I think that is the the real ethos of, of all of my guests is having the courage. And I really want to appreciate you for going there because I don't want to take folks to their dark times, but those are the things that really most shape who you are. It's so clear, right? That yeah. how you can appreciate what you have now was based on stuff that I, I don't wish for you, but it really has made you. And it's just, um, it's it's really it's really gratifying to see that the hard work and all that stuff comes through. And there's folks out there who do work really hard and it doesn't happen, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and I get that. Uh, we could go on and on and on. I um, let me just loop back a little bit. You've done a lot of reflection um, as you've listened to yourself. Is there is there a, a regret or do over assuming that you are where you are right now? Anything that you would share? A regret or do over. I can't wholeheartedly say yes to that. I, I cannot because everything has happened in a way that has given me the mindset that I have now. So no regrets and no do overs. I love it. Three words or phrases uh, that capture the essence of you. Uh, three words or three phrases. Ah. Grace, faith, and believe. Oh my gosh! Think over three three powerful words in my life that uh, I, I tend to adhere to. And if I could give a quote uh, from myself, uh, it's you can't underestimate the value of hard work. Because when you've given all that you can, there are no excuses left. The results will be a product of the hard work that you've given. Brilliantly said. Last question. You have um, gone way back. What was it like for you to share your journey today? I feel like I I just had a therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) Like I've sat down and given myself uh, some... uh, some pointers as to why I do this and how I came to do this. And uh, I'm not done yet. You know, I'm still uh, a young artist uh, finding my way here in New York City, and I'm grateful to have had um, my start being uh, in uh, The Lion King to get me to whatever other dreams await me and my family in the future. And much awaits. That is of no doubt. Um, Ezekiel, you are an extraordinary voice and a gift to hear your journey. I am cheering for you big time. Um, I will thank you for being part of the solution, helping us all to be safe, seen, and heard, and our true and very, very best selves. If there's any tiny way I could be ever helpful to you, please, please, please reach out. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much, Molly. This has been wonderful. Oh, back at you. Okay, folks, it does not get any better than that. Of course, my thought for the week from Zeke, embrace fear while moving forward. Do not stop. 
And that's a wrap, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify Zeke's voice. Reflect on your top takeaways and know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality. Essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is solvable. Communities are proving it. And it begins by understanding that we can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. The U.S. spends billions each year responding, but it's clear more resources alone aren't enough to solve this complex problem. Community Solutions is a nonprofit working alongside 105 U.S. communities, proving it is possible to make homelessness rare and brief, starting with veteran and chronic homelessness. These cities and counties are fundamentally changing their approach and have committed to get to zero homelessness using real-time, person-specific data to work and use their resources wisely. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org. See if your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name and need? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness can't be solved. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out sayitskillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 